today we are celebrating Palm Sunday. That's right, we're celebrating Palm Sunday. Is it this Palm Sunday? This Palm Sunday? No, it's something completely different. It's a day when Jesus decided to ride into Jerusalem as the sacrificial lamb. He rode into Jerusalem. This was his final walk up to the cross. And when he was riding into Jerusalem, he was greeted like a conquering king. When he was greeted like a conquering king, he was on a donkey, which actually was something that uh, it looks like he was you know, humbled by having to ride on a donkey, which is true. But it's often that actually conquering kings will often come in on a donkey in order to show, even though I'm conquering you, I'm not coming in might and power. I'm coming in <clears throat> in, 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 a, in a subdued form. I'm coming here to actually, in a sense, negotiate with you, to plead with you. And so when he was coming in on a donkey, it was a very... Uh, humble thing to do. But when he was coming in, everyone was cheering and they were cheering this. And we're going to read from John chapter one. And in John chapter one, right at the beginning, it says, oh, sorry, in John chapter 12, it says in verse 12 and 13, it says the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, there was a massive festival called Passover in the city. They heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, why were they, why did they care about the fact that he was coming? Well, this is the guy who had uh, healed the lame, who had raised the dead, who had fed 5,000, who was doing miracle after miracle after miracle. I'm sure some of you have seen the, the TV show, The Chosen. And it's really cool how they're demonstrating what Jesus did in people's lives. So the crowd heard about it and they're like, Jesus is here, let's go see this guy. This guy's absolutely amazing. So when he arrived in Jerusalem, here's the crowds coming to chase after him. And they took palm branches, right? Or as you say in America, palm branches, palm, is that right? Palm branches, there we go, palm branches. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. This is interesting because they're really elevating him right here. They weren't just using palm branches because they needed to cool him off, right? They weren't, they weren't using palm branches because it was a cool thing to do. And like, let's make this a memorable, memorable day by having palms. They would take palm branches and put it on the ground because when you're welcoming a notary, when you're a, a, notar a notable person, when you're welcoming a king, you always roll out the red carpet. So in a sense, this was their way of saying, we're going to put palm branches down so that your feet don't touch the dirty earth here in Jerusalem. So that's why they put palm branches, took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna basically means deliver us. Deliver us from our enemies. Deliver us from our brokenness. Deliver us from our oppressors, which were the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire. And then, of course, they eventually called him, blessed is the king of Israel. Now, that's a pretty lofty thing, right? That'd be like you coming here and saying, Peter, you're now our king. And I'm like, what? No. No, I'm not. I, that's no, no, no. That's way too much responsibility for me. But when, you, when you're saying that someone is your king, you're basically telling them, rule over me and conquer my enemies. Rule over me and conquer my enemies. Now, who doesn't want that in their life? Who doesn't want someone to show them what to do, to lead them in the right path of understanding, to lead them to blessing, to lead them to, to, to wealth, to lead them to restoration? We need a savior. You would agree with that. We need a conquering king in our lives. But what they weren't ready for was how he would do it, how he would deliver them and how he would conquer them. You see, eventually, one week later, the same people who are putting 
rolling out the red carpet and saying, this is the guy that's going to save us. One week later, they were nailing him to a cross. They go, no, but that was the Romans. No, no, no. It was the people of Jerusalem that voted for him to get crucified. How is it possible that one day they're actually saying, this is the guy that's going to save us. And then one week later, they changed their minds. We want change in our lives, but maybe we want change in our lives on our terms. So then here's the question. How did Jesus deliver us? How did he deliver the world? Well, all the way back, we're in the book of John already. John begins with declaring the foundations of who Jesus is and how he brings us salvation. We're going to start at chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's basically establishing that this isn't just someone who was a good guy. This is literally God himself, right? I would say most of you are in this room. You're probably Christians. You probably already believe that. We don't really need to take much time to, 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 to look at that and pull it apart. We believe that he was God himself. He was a part of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it continues on. He was with God in the beginning, and through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, why is John saying this? He's saying this because he's saying, listen, he's not an optional God. He's not a part-time God. He's not the type of God that only did this part and this part and that part. He, he is the beginning of everything. Everything that is in your life goes back to Him, right? We can't compartmentalize where God is in our lives. You can't come to church on Sunday and then not actually believe in God on Monday. You can't sing His praises today and then tomorrow use His name as a curse word. On Sunday morning, oh Jesus. But then on Monday morning, oh Jesus, right? We can't compartmentalize God to work for us on the days we want him to work for. You can't be, you can't say, God, be in my health, but he's not in your bank account. You can't ask him to be in your home, but he's not in your workplace. N.T. Wright puts it like this. It is not enough to say one's prayers in private and then go to work to rebuild the Tower of Babel. The substance and structure of the different aspects of our world need to be interrogated in the light of the unique achievement of Jesus. That's the type of conqueror that we are looking for in our lives. And then once John has said he's the one when he is the beginning of all things and that nothing has been made without him, then, then John gets to the point where he declares how Jesus becomes the conqueror in our life, how he becomes Lord, how he becomes God. And he explains it in two different ways. And he uses the imagery of light. And this year, our vision for our church, the, the word that we have for our church that we've been talking a lot about, our theme is that you are the light. Jesus said that he was the light, but then he turned around to his disciples and said, you are the light, you are the light. In John 1, 4, verse 1, chapter, sorry, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There are two ways that Jesus conquers in our lives. He brings a conquest in our lives. The first one is this. Light conquers Darkness In John 1.5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. About 10 years ago, uh, my, I took my son back to Scotland to go see my family, and we took a father and son trip. 
And on the way back, we thought, hey, let's stop off in Iceland. Has anyone been to Iceland before? It's a really cool place, isn't it? It's really, oh, you were just there, right? It's a really cool place. It's a very volcanic uh, land. In fact, most of it is made of volcanic rock. There's, there's very few trees there, but it's a really cool land. <clears throat> and these volcanoes used to explode hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. And not so long ago, maybe about 10 years ago, there was, a, a, there was a, 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 what they call a lava tube. And when a volcano actually you know, flows over, the lava flows down like a river down the mountain. But as it's going down the mountain, there's actually, a, it starts to crust over the top, but it's still flowing underneath. And so it's like an enclosed tunnel underneath. And about 10 years ago, a top of one of these tunnels actually caved in. So I said, hey, let's go on this tour and let's go see the cave. And so it was really cool. We had to get suited up and hard hats and stuff. And, and we had a little flashlight on our head. So we went into the cave and we're going in deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's the, it's, it was kind of scary because you're actually going like, like you're going into a mountain. And then he, the guy said, okay, I want you all to sit, sit down. I'm going to tell you a story. So we all sat down on the ground and Kale was beside me. And he said, now, I want you to turn your lights off. So we all turned our lights off. And he said, now, you're still going to see light because it's bouncing around in your eyeballs right now. But eventually, after a few seconds, it's going to dissipate. Do you see it going away? Do you see it going away? And we're like, yeah, 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 it's going away, all right. He said, now this is the experience of deepest darkness. There is no light in this cave. There's no extra light from down the, the cave. We've, we've gone so deep into this cave. There's no cave. Can you see anything? And of course, I'm holding on to Kale to try and give him confidence, knowing fine well, I'm trying to give myself confidence, right? Because if he starts freaking out, then I'm freaking out. Actually, it's probably me that was going to freak out. And it's amazing when you're in darkness. Darkness consumes everything when there is no light, right? It consumes absolutely everything. So much that darkness creates two problems in our lives when we have darkness. In darkness, you can't determine what's real. You don't know what's right. You don't know what's left. Am I going forward? Am I going backwards? Is this up? Is this down? Where are you, Kale? Where are you? You can't tell what's real because you're so dependent on light to show you what's good and what's bad. If I put my foot in front of my, one in front of the other, I don't know if that's solid ground. Why? Because I can't see it. There is no light to show me what to do. The other problem with this, with this is that you can't do what's right. Even all the tools, all the skills that you have don't allow you to be able to save your family or to help your family when you're in a deepest, darkest place. You can't determine what's real. Confusion and mental anguish comes upon you. You can't do what's right. You can't help the people that are around you. You feel useless. In fact, I find this, that when people are in darkness, they often start to make a series of bad decisions. I remember years ago speaking to a young guy and he was, talk, he was telling me about how he's in lots of difficulties and, and, and he was telling me, I, I don't have any money. And I said, well, do you have a job? No, I don't have a job. And he said, and the other thing is, I just got my girlfriend pregnant. And I said, why did you get her pregnant? And he goes, well, I didn't mean to. And I'm like, did, were you forced to? And he said, well, no, we, we kind of, you, know, you know. And I'm like, yes, I do know. Why did you decide to do that when you can't afford a child? It's like, well, it just happened. I'm like, no, it didn't just happen. You see, what happens is we get to this place where we make one bad decision after a next bad decision, which leads to the next bad decision, the next bad decision. And before you know it, our entire life is consumed in darkness. And now our children have to carry this. 
It's important that when we're coming to Christ, that we're not just trying to become people who are good people, but we're becoming transformed people who know how to live in the kingdom of God and see the blessing and the fruit of the Holy Spirit manifest itself in our lives. Does that mean that difficult times won't come your way? No, no. Jesus didn't promise that we're going to have a perfect world in such a way that everything will be perfect for us. He said we'll have trouble in this world, but that he would carry us through it. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit must bring us to blessing. But here's the thing. When you give yourself to Christ, his light exposes your darkness. When they told us in the cave to turn the light on, we turned the light on and we were like, wow, okay, now we can see everything. When Christ comes into your life, his light has to expose your darkness. That means you have to admit to your sin, your shame, and your failures. Note this, that in the dark, these things can become your friends. The things that you held on to, even though I was holding on to my son. Sometimes when you're in the dark, you can start holding on to bad habits or old habits. You can hold on to anger. You can hold on to rejection. You hold on to alcoholism or laziness or control or food, whatever it is. You're holding on to that thing that makes you feel like you're not alone. You feel like you're comforted right now. But here's the problem with those comforters is that they eventually become your, ter- your tormentor. And we have to, when we are in the light of Jesus, we have to see it for what it is and say, I'm sorry, you're no longer welcome in my life. The point is this. If you want Christ to be the king of your life, if Christ is to be your king, he must conquer your darkness, which means letting go of the sin you have made a friend of. I get it. I've had sin in my life where I have made a friend of it until God said, no more is this going to be in your life. And I had to repent and let go of it. If he's going to conquer you and all your life is going to be completely in his hands, you must let go of the sin that has become our friend. The second thing, if Jesus is the light that conquers darkness, Jesus is also the light that creates division. Now follow me on this. John chapter 1, 9 to 12, it says this. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made, and and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That basically means they couldn't identify him. And even if they could identify him, they didn't give him due honor. Then it continues on. He says, but he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So if they didn't recognize him, now they didn't receive him. It's like, I recognize maybe you are a savior. Maybe you are someone who's sent from God, but I don't receive you. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When it says that the true light that gives light to everybody, Christ has brought salvation to everyone and anyone who wants to receive it. But it says they did not receive from, they rejected the light. And therefore, if you reject the light, you don't have the right to become a child of God. Right? We don't, we don't get to walk on this earth and go, I don't know if I like Jesus stuff. I don't, I don't know if I get into this thing. You know what? I'm just going to live my life my own way. That's fine. That's the freedom that we have been given by God. We have the free will to do what we want, as we want, but not when it comes to him returning as Christ. Not when he brings judgment to the living and the dead. When the light is turned on, it creates division. 
It basically, you can tell what and who is in the light versus what and who is not in the light. It separates people. It separates governments. It separates morality, truth, and righteousness. Nothing is relative in the light of Christ. Everything is absolutely true, and He is the truth. It's His way, or it's no way. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. You can't have one foot in the past and hopefully one foot in Jesus. You can't do that. You have to let go of everything that has been touched by darkness in your life, that has been touched by sin or brokenness or shame, even from your past all the way up to the present, everything has to be subject to to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because once you have decided that Jesus is Lord, you have divided yourself against the world. You've divided yourself against darkness. Even family may turn against you because they've decided they don't like what you're saying and they don't want to be a part of what you're doing. It doesn't mean you try and reject them. It doesn't mean you try and push them away. It's just simply, as soon as you declare you're standing in the light, this is what righteousness is, you're now being a condemnation to other people. I was speaking to my son recently about this and I said, son, you've got lots of school friends, but as soon as they find out that you haven't been sleeping around, either they have to mock you or they have to, they have to uh, justify their own position. They have to justify it because they possibly feel guilty about that. You see what happens when you decide to walk in the light and stand in the light, you're not only just conquering darkness in yourself, you're now becoming a division away from anyone else that is in darkness. Today, I want to show you a really weird thing. I want to, sh- well, not a weird thing, it's a wonderful thing. I want to show you, because that would be weird, right? I want to show you a, 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 a little short video. And in year 2016, there was a, a, a scientist in the Northwestern uh, University, and they decided to try and, and, and study how an egg gets impregnated by a sperm. So if there's any children here, you're going to learn a lot of things this morning. Right, so could we actually show that video right now? And I'm going to show you what happens here. When they did, when when they were actually studying these eggs, I'll be here in a second. Um, when they were actually showing these eggs, they noticed that when the egg was actually impregnated, it's on the back screen here, you'll see a, a bloom of light comes from it. Here's the sperm. It's about to go into two of these eggs, and it suddenly goes. And scientists discovered that at the moment of conception, light is released from cells. That's a miracle, right? Look at this other one here. So you can see the actual little wiggly worms trying to get into the little eggs. You see the pop of light that happens? When the sperm goes in, there's a release of zinc. Billions of atoms come out of this. And about 30% of the zinc is activated and light comes from the egg. When I was watching this, the first thing that came to my mind was John 1, 4, when it says, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Let the light of Christ birth something new within you. This is not a metaphorical thing. You literally just saw the manifestation of light. You go, oh, that's just a chemical thing. I believe that's Jesus right there. Because you were made on purpose for a purpose. John said it 2,000 years ago, and he's telling us to come alive in Jesus because he's the only one who can bring light to every area of our lives. Let all your sin and darkness be banished from you. Let him conquer you. Yield to him. Let it cause the cell division that comes to multiplication in your life because that's my Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's all stand this morning.
Some of us might think that it's how do we defend this fairy story. I don't believe it is a fairy story because my life has changed. There's many of you here where your lives have changed and you are the light to your friends and your neighbors and your family. But there also might be parts of your life that are not fully full of light yet. And the reason why they're not multiplying, the reason why cell division is not only just the separation away from you, it's also the separation of you, of multiplication. Because as soon as that egg is impregnated, cell division begins and then it grows and it grows and it grows. You want to see growth in your life. Do you want to see restoration and blessing come to your family, to yourself, to your community? If you want to see it, something of light has to come to pass in your life to the next level. Father in heaven, we're sorry that we have resisted you when you've tried to conquer our lives through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we want you to be the king of our lives. We want to declare Jesus is Lord in our lives. We wanna declare that because we're sick and tired of where darkness has ruled in our lives. I don't want darkness in my finances anymore. I don't want darkness in my relationships. I don't want darkness in my mind. I want to be free mentally. I want to be free emotionally. I want to be free morally. And we pray that you'll become the full light in our families once again so that we can be the light to our communities because so many are still in darkness. We ask this in your precious son's name and all God's people said, Amen. We love you guys.